Oh. Well, hey. <laughs> How are you guys? Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Oh, look at all those little beasties. It's the best. There's nothing like it, is there? I love listening to their little voices, worshiping and, you know, speaking out of turn. How dare they? You know, it, it makes perfect sense to me, especially if you have kids, that Jesus would be like, yep, that's where it's at right there. You know, remember when he met, uh, I think it was Philip, and he said, behold, a man in whom there is no guile. And it's like, how do you know me? He's like, well, I saw you when you were under the tree. And he's like, oh, my Lord, my God. But Jesus recognized him as a person who was without guile. And, and, and what that really means is he wasn't trying to pretend to be something he wasn't, right? That's important to Jesus. That's important to God. And the economy of God, what is not needed is your perfection. What is not needed is all of your completion of every religious rite and ritual or everything like that. What is, what is needed, what is necessary, what is absolutely mandatory is that you come before the cross of Jesus Christ without guile, never pretending to be something that you're not, but openly and honestly saying, here it is, right? Here it is. It ain't a pretty picture all the time, but here it is. And God accepts you. No, no one understand this. And, and understand it in a biblical sense, okay? When, when we say that God knows you and he accepts you, what the world will tell you that means is that he accepts your sin. That is not the truth. He died for your sin, right? He's not super stoked when you bring it back up, right? He died for your sin because he loves you you, right? And when you love someone, we understand this even in our human understanding, when you love someone, right? When we have a loved one or a friend or a family member that does something that we roll our eyes at, the term that my family uses is we say, well, it's priced in. You know what I'm saying? When you buy a car, you have to price in the fact that you're going to have to pay for registration and insurance, right? It's priced in, you know? It ain't just the cost of the car, so you have relationships with people, and there's certain things that they do. It's priced in, right? So no one understand this, that Jesus Christ died for your sin, not just to cleanse you and purify you and to take it away from you, but to cleanse and purify you from it. You can be free from it. You're not a slave to it any longer. You can have victory in those areas, and God calls us to strive after that victory, to run after, to chase after that victory, to never be content with where we are, but to continually, as Paul said, press on towards the goal that is set before me in Christ. Well, what is the goal? It's Christ. I want to reflect Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a tall order. You will never... 100% appropriately reflect Jesus Christ. You can't do it because you ain't Jesus, right? It's the effort. It's the heart that God is after. In, in chapter 5 of 2 Kings that pastor, our pastor took us through in the first service, we talked about Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy. Now, this is a guy who doesn't know the first thing about Jehovah. He doesn't know the first thing about the God of, of Mount Sinai or the law or any of these things, but he's told there's a prophet in Israel and he is able to heal you of the leprosy that you have. And so based on that, Naaman heads off to Israel, and he has to go through all of the stages, because when the prophet sends his servant to tell him, just go take a dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed, 
And that's it. Naaman gets upset. He gets angry. You know why? Because he thought it was going to cost something. He thought there was certainly or surely some mighty deed that he would have to perform in order to earn that miracle. And he was, the Bible says, in a rage over it. And one of his servants finally came to him and said, my Lord, if he had told you to do some great thing, you know, the feats of Hercules. You remember you read about the, the feats of Hercules, you got to go kill the lion and the three-headed hydra and, and all You would have gladly accepted that. But when he says, just go wash and be made clean, you, you won't do that because it's free. You won't do that because it doesn't require any of your effort. And so he consented and he went, he relented and he went and he bathed seven times and he was healed of his leprosy. And when he comes back to Elisha, he says to him, I'm going to worship God from here on out. And then he says a couple of things that are kind of silly. First, he says, I want to bring a bunch of dirt from Israel back to Syria so I can put that in a big pot and lay in it when I worship, right? I want to be on Israeli soil when I worship the God of Israel, okay? Totally unnecessary. There ain't nothing holy about dirt. We're made of dirt. There's nothing holy about dirt. I, if you've brought back dirt from Israel or something like that, I don't mean to burst your bubble, right? And then he says, and then forgive me this one thing. When I'm serving the king and he goes into the, into the house of his God to worship, he has to lean on me. He has to, I have to be there with him. Will God forgive me of that? And Elisha says, go in peace. Go in peace. Because what he was saying to him, and this is old covenant. This is before the blood of Jesus Christ. And the grace of God was being made manifest. It's your heart, Naaman. That's what God is concerned with. He knows if you're truly worshiping him or if you're not truly worshiping him. Is anybody awake in here? He knows if you're truly living in obedience to him or if you're not living in obedience to him. See, you can fool me. I ain't that bright. It's not hard to fool me. But you cannot fool God. One of my favorite things in the New Testament in the stories of Jesus Christ is when his enemies are thinking something and then Jesus answers. That's the best. That is the best. Have you ever been thinking something and Jesus answered you? Awkward, right? Awkward. That's how he works. Listen, he wants in. It's not just to make you feel guilty. It's not to, oh, you've been caught. No, no, no. He is always about the work of redemption. He is always about the work of reconciliation. In fact, that's what the scripture teaches us that we have as the church of Jesus Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it's all about. First Corinthians, Paul says, there's a guy in your church. He's having a relationship with his father's wife. Whatever that was, gross, right? Kick him out. You're acting like, oh, look how, look how accepting we are of all things. I want you to boot him out of the church because he won't repent of it. And then instead of the second letter of the Corinthians, he says, what are you doing? The guy repented. Get him back in here. This is the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we are about. Don't ever allow in your life two things. There's a bunch of things, but these are two in particular. Don't ever allow in your life, don't ever allow there not to be reconciliation between you and God because you don't think you deserve it. You haven't earned it. And so therefore, there can't be reconciliation between you and God. I've done it again, Lord. Look what I've done again. How many times have we had this conversation? God, you've got to be through with me. 
And the enemy is in your ear and he's whispering, that's right, he's done with you. You ought to just pack it in, baby. You can't do it. You might as well give up. That is always the voice of the enemy. That is never the voice of God. He is always, always the prodigal son's dad. He's always the prodigal son's dad. The son who went off and through sinful living spent all of the inheritance that his father gave him and finally ended up living and eating with the hogs and said, I might as well go back to home and I'll just say, Dad, let me be one of the servants. They live better than I'm living. And the Bible says while he saw his father, saw his son afar off coming down the road and his father took off on a dead sprint and met his son halfway and wept over him and, and commanded that the fatted calf be killed and that a celebration be had. And remember, the other son's angry about it. I didn't run away and do this and do that, and you've never given me so much as a goat to kill with my friends. And, and the father said to the son, listen, buddy, all that I have belongs to you. But don't you understand what has happened here today? Your brother, who was dead, is alive again. Your brother who was lost is found. And Jesus talked about the fact that there is a celebration in heaven when one soul comes to repentance. When one soul comes to repentance. When the 99 sheep, the one goes missing, what, is, what does the shepherd do? What does he tell us? He goes out and he looks for the, for the lost, the one lost. Now that's annoying for the 99. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm standing here. This jerk keeps getting lost. That's on you, buddy. I mean, you got to let him hit rock bottom, Lord. You got to let him hit it. But I'll tell you what. When I'm the 99th sheep, or the 100th sheep, when I'm that one sheep that's lost, suddenly I get it. Suddenly I get it. Learn what this means, Jesus said to the religious hypocrites. Go learn what this means. I have desired mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, guys, all your religious entrapments, your robes, your phylacteries, the, your memorization of Scripture, your keeping of all the laws and commandments of the Torah and the Mishnah and the Talmud and all of your sacrifices and your fellowship offerings and your born offerings, that's not what I'm after. I'm after mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus said, I've come to call sinners, not the righteous, to salvation. To repentance. Don't ever let the devil trick you into thinking you can't be reconciled or you don't deserve it. You're never going to deserve it. But that's always what God is after, reconciliation. And here's the other part of that. Don't ever let the enemy trick you into not allowing reconciliation for someone else. Here's the first and the greatest commandment. We go over this all the time, don't we? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second commandment is like the first. It goes right along with it. What that means is you can't have one without the other. The Gospel of John tells us if you claim to love God who you can't see and you don't love your brother who you can see, what does he say? You're lying. You cannot fully say that you love God if you don't love your brother. You want to know what a Christian is? You want to say, okay, I'm going to examine this person's fruit and decide for myself whether or not they're a Christian? How do they treat the people around them? How do they treat... Anybody feel guilty a little bit right about now? Anybody feel a little conviction right about now? Yeah, because I don't always reflect Jesus. 
Uh, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times I just do a great job of reflecting Frank Thomas. You know what I mean? But God has called me to allow for, to desire for, to pray for the same reconciliation in someone else, and someone else is anyone else that I desire to see in my own life. That's the God that we serve, okay? So, 2 Kings chapter 6, let's get right into it. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd cover this portion for us and speak to our hearts, that you'd have your way in this place today. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, with a portion of your Holy Spirit today. And I pray that you'd reveal your love to their hearts, Father, directly from you to them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the sons of the prophets, this is 2 Kings chapter 6, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron float. You have a King James, I believe it says, swim. And now, I've never seen iron swim, but I have a picture in my mind to you. I immediately go to Looney Tunes cartoon land. It grew little arms and little feet, and it was doing this, right? King James says it swam. I think it floated to the surface and then floated back towards the shore. I wasn't there. Uh, therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. So the prophets, uh, and, and it's referred to several times in the scripture, you're going to see the sons of the prophets, uh, they were living together. This is kind of almost like a commune type situation where you had, remember in the last chapter, Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, when Naaman had been healed of the leprosy, he wanted to give Elisha a reward, and Elisha appropriately said, I don't need anything. I don't want a reward. I don't need, that's not why we do this, right, Christians? <laughs> that's not why we do this. Guess where our reward is? Bling, bling, there. It's not here. That's why Jesus was saying, when you fast, don't put on somber appearances. When you pray, don't stand on the street going, oh, and think you're going to be heard because of your many prayers. Everyone that just saw you would say, wow, they must be holy. Congratulations, that's your reward. But you're missed out on the heavenly reward. When you give alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's a secret. It's between you and God, all the good works that you do. Don't go around crowing about it because that's your reward. Now, do you want the approval of men as your reward or do you want treasure in heaven, right? I mean, it's not even close. Elisha got it. He understood it. I don't want anything. Well, when Naaman left, Gehazi ran after him. And one of the things that he said to him is, we have two new prophets that just came to town. Uh, and they're from the hills of Ephraim, and they need some money and some clothes to be taken care of. For just, for just two talents of silver a month, Naaman, you can support a prophet in Israel. <laughs> okay? So he swindles, he swindles Naaman, he lies to him, he comes back, we know the story. Well, when he was making that statement, there's two new prophets from the hills of Ephraim, he, he probably wasn't lying about that. What was happening was these prophets from all over different parts of Israel were coming and finding Elisha, and they were basically sitting under his tutelage. They had like this commune going on. And it's growing. It's increasing. 
Uh, and it made, immediately made me think of, um, oh, I, I wrote it down because I knew I would forget it. Uh, it was the sin of Achan. Remember Achan, when the children of Israel come into the promised land, the walls of Jericho fall, and they go in, and remember what God's commandment was, do not touch any of the plunder, the gold, the silver, the filthy lucre, the cash flow, don't touch any of that stuff, that ain't for you, that's not why you're here. Don't touch any of those things. Well, Achan found some golden idols, some silver idols, and he took them and he hid them under his tent. So the next town that the children of Israel go to is this little town called Ai. They think, we're going to roll these people, and they get defeated. And when they drop back, as we should all do, when we find ourselves defeated, the first thing we should do is drop back, take a knee, and pray. Is there sin in the camp? Lord, is there sin in my life? Now, we could probably raise our hand if we were being honest and list off two, three things in each of our lives that we know are holding us back from a greater blessing. And we're dealing with these things every day, amen? Lord, Lord cleanse me. <laughs> Lord, help these things to be an ancient memory in my life because I want to be cleansed. As the Bible talks about, there's vessels in the house of God both for noble use and ignoble use. Some are made of wood clay and, 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 and wooden, or, uh, of clay and, and, and stubble and all these, and some are made of fine gold and precious jewels. And here's what he says, cleanse yourself from the latter and you can be used as the former. In other words, you can either be a vessel in God's house who is used for ignoble purposes because you've not been cleansed, you've not been purified, you love Jesus, you're born again, but he's got, he, I can use you for this. I can't use you for this noble cause because there's sin in the camp. Paul says, cleanse yourself of that and you can be used for the noble things. And, and, and so this Achan had stolen these gods and so God was unable to give the children of Israel victory until they dealt with the sin that was in the camp. Well, we had Gehazi who was being greedy and he was extorting people. Maybe that was the first time he fell to that sin. Maybe it wasn't. But it's interesting to see after Gehazi is removed from the service of Elijah, we're going to meet him again later on in a couple chapters. It seems he was restored to an extent anyways, that now all of these prophets are coming out of the woodwork. The church is growing. The house of God is growing. And they have no place to put everybody. It's kind of like a commune situation. Um, and they were willing. Here's what I love about this. In chapter 6, it says in verse 2, the place where we, we dwell with you is too small for us. Verse 2, please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where, where we may dwell. I love it that they were willing to work with their hands to provide for their own needs. Here they are, the prophets of God. Elisha is raising people from the dead, healing people of leprosy, and now the prophets, the sons of the prophets have a need. I love that they don't just stand back and say, all right, Elijah, do your thing. Pray a house, baby. Grow it out of the ground. You know, I'll even settle for a hobbit house. Put it in a hillside. You know what I mean? No, no, no. No, no, no. They say, let's go to the Jordan River. Let's each man get for himself a beam. That's everybody working together. And let's build a house. Let's build a house. Let's do it that way. I love it. They were willing to work with their own hands to provide for their needs. They were keenly aware at this point of the glory that was in Solomon's temple, but they sought after none of this, but just the bare essentials. We talked about this last week. Elisha was the example of this to them. 
They didn't get this from nowhere. Remember, Elisha was happy with a table, a chair, a lamp, and a bed. Remember that the Shunammite woman had made a roof, a house, a little, little dwelling on her rooftop, her and her husband had for Elisha when he was coming through? Just the bare essentials, just the bare necessities. Why are these guys never trying to get to Solomon's temple? Hey, I'm a prophet, baby. Why am I walking around in camel's hair? You know what I mean? Why do I look unkept? I'm a prophet of God. They never sought after those things. And when you want to see somebody, you look at the example of Elijah and you see when someone is used that powerfully in Scripture, God wants you to take a closer look at that character's life and check out the attributes. Check out the things in their lives that were important to them and the things that were not important to them. Sure, God used a lot of people who were great a lot of people who were mighty, a lot of people who were strong, but how many who were faithful to the end? Elisha was a man who didn't need the provisions of this world. He wanted to be provided for by God and to be in God's service. And these guys have him for an example. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. We read this last week, but I thought, why not read it again? Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, you have God. And it's, it's easy to make that a cliche. And to kind of, you can then scoff and roll your eyes at it. Oh, I don't need anything. I've got God. I don't need anything. I've got God. Don't worry about eating dinner, buddy. You've got God. Right? Oh, I should get you wear it. No, no, no. The prophets, they went out. They built. They did the work. They did what had to be done. Apostle Paul, St. Paul was a tent maker. He provided his own living. He didn't take money from the church. Okay? These guys are willing to provide for their own needs. They understood that they had needs, but that's not what was important to them. They knew if I do the right things and I'm in God's will and in his service, guess what? I have need to worry about nothing. That's the point. Uh, verse three, they wanted God's blessing more than they wanted provision. I like in verse three, uh, when Elisha gives him leave to go, and then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. It's like, we may need materials and we may need tools, but what we really need, Elisha, is God's blessing. Will you please come with us? Will you please come with us? It, having the building materials and the tools and all that stuff is, is not enough. Elisha, we want you to be there. We want the blessing of God to be on this. We don't just want to build a house. We want to build a house as unto the Lord. We want to build a house with the Lord's blessing. You guys know the verse. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain to try it all. These guys wanted the blessing of God to be upon everything they were doing. Uh, that Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to try it all. Now, here's the, here's the thing. The opposite is also true. If the Lord desires to build a house, they labor in vain who try to stop it. Right? Remember, when the apostles were first going around and they're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and that he was the Messiah and that they had crucified their own Messiah and all of these things and, that, and all that was going around, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. I hate when that happens. I don't know where I get that from. <clears throat> let's see. Let's, re let's read it again. They labor in vain who try and stop the Lord's work. Aha! They're preaching Jesus. Remember, the Sanhedrin brings them in and says, you got to stop preaching about Jesus. We command you to stop preaching. And they said, you judge amongst yourselves whether it's right for us to obey God or men. And remember, as they're having the conversation, the one old priest stands up and he says, look, 
Remember when this guy rose up and he said oh, he was something, he was going to be a leader, he was going to be, and then what happened? He died and nothing came of it, it all went away. And then remember this guy that rose up and he said that he was something, and what happened? Nothing happened. Now, this Jesus of Nazareth, maybe it's the same thing. He, if, and if that's the case, don't worry, in a matter of time, it's going to go away. It's been about 2,000 years, I believe. It's going to go away. No one's going to remember the name Jesus, but. If this thing is from God and you fight against it, then you're going to find yourselves in the position of fighting against God. And friends, that's a bad position to be in. I don't even want to, and he's merciful. He's merciful. And I know none of you would ever fight against God willingly, knowingly. I don't want to fight against him accidentally either. You understand? And we can do that because I am so H-E double hockey sticks bent on something being a reality in my life or something being true or having something or doing this or being that or this or that or having that girl or having that guy <laughs> that I'll fight against God and I'll do it all for the sake of love or I'll do it all for the sake of what or this or that. What does the word of God say? How is God leading you? If the Lord builds that house, they labor in vain. They labor in vain who fight against it, right? If you fight against God, though, is he going to judge you? Is he going to open up the earth and swallow you up? No. But you are going to have no rest. You are going to have no peace. Oh, and that relationship you want so badly, it ain't going to be anything like you think. Unless the Lord builds the house. The axe head is important because it was borrowed, and under the law, it had to be restored or paid for. It's very probable that whoever had lent this man this axe would have forgiven the loss. I mean, he's one of the prophets. You know what I mean? You loan the guy an axe, and he's like, man, it flew off into the, oh, I won't rest until you make restitution. I mean, I doubt that whoever had loaned the prophet this axe would have been that hard-nosed about it. Here's what I love about this story, though, of how important it was to this prophet to restore what the man had lent him. Do you, any of you have neighbors who borrow things from you? How about friends? How about family members? They're the worst. And it's a good thing that Jesus says, when you lend, don't expect to receive it back. Because <laughs> some of you got friends and family members that that's just a reality. You're never going to see it again. Don't lend it out. Right? But this guy, and remember, in this culture, this is an important thing. And here's what I love about this prophet of God. It was extremely important to him, it was extremely important to him that he restore what had been lent to him by this man. And I think this should be the posture of the church. This should be the posture of the Christian. Freely you have received, freely give. I love when I talk to someone who doesn't, who maybe isn't a believer, who doesn't know me from Adam, and we start talking about doing their wedding or this or that, and they say, now, now how much do you charge? Now, how much do you charge? I go, nothing. What do you mean? What is nothing, like 250? <laughs> you know, I know how you preachers are. <laughs> it's double time Sunday, brother. Get those plates, you're passing them again. Let me see your faith. No, 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 no. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. I see a man of God, quote unquote, flying around in a private jet. I want to knock his block off. And I know that's sinful, forgive me. 
but it makes me so angry. You wonder why Jesus was so ticked off when he went into the temple and he just laid the smacketh down upon those robbers? And what did he say? It is written, my father's house will be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of robbers. Friends, we got den of robbers in the body of Christ and it makes me sick. You got clothes, you got food, you got a roof over your head, man of God. That's all you ever need. You don't need jets. I don't care what they say. I'm sorry. It drives me crazy. If you're a man of God, if you're a woman of God, you need him in your life and the bare necessities. You got $18 million in your savings account and you're not helping out anybody in your community with that? And I'm not saying, listen... Unless the Lord builds a house, if you got money, you're not required to give it all away. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm talking about a preacher. I'm talking about a man. I'm a servant of God. That's what I do. That's my living. You better give up some of your money then. Because I don't care who you are, too much money is going to be a problem. I don't know how many of you Christians in here play that Mega Millions jackpot. Let's see. All right, well, then here we go. Hold on. You're not going to win. And if you do, it would be the worst thing that ever happened. Because I'm telling you, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all types of evil. Not money. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all types of evil. And many people, in pursuing money, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Right? Having a desire to have things, having a desire, a burning desire to acquire things and to have things is not godliness. It's not, now listen to me. Some of you, God has blessed more than he's blessed others. That's okay. If God blesses you and he's given you the ability to make money and be successful, praise God. That is cool. You can send envelopes to 3 Calvary Road. No. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Enjoy what God has blessed you with. Understand and remember this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You got to find your niche. God, where do you want me to be? Because you should not be striving in this like, I, I, I got to have more. I got to have more. You should know this is where I need to be. This is where I believe God wants me to be. And that's where I need to live. And that's where I need to live. I don't need to be opulently above where God wants me to be. And I don't need to be below where God wants me to be. That's between you and the Lord. That's not between you and anyone else, and don't you let anyone ever judge you about anything that you have, as long as it's not some horrible thing, okay? But that desiring, that coveting, that seeking, and enriching yourself off the backs of others, mm -mm, that, that's not God. That's not what the Word talks about. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received freely give. Uh, one of the spiritual lessons we can take from this is that when we find ourselves in a position where something is missing in our lives or that we need to do in our ministry or to provide for our families, we should look for a spiritual, a spiritual solution along with a physical one. The axe head's gone. First thing he does is he goes to the prophet. Now listen, if Elisha would have said, listen, it's not Miracle Tuesday, you're going to have to go for a swim then maybe the guy, that would have been the next thing. Okay, I got to go for a swim. Lord, <laughs> I can't swim, you know. <laughs> but you understand, 
What does God want you to bring before him in prayer? How many things? Take everything to God in prayer. That's the old hymn we sing, we used to sing. Take everything to God in prayer. Pray without ceasing, with prayers and supplications. Let it all be known to God. Lord, this is where I'm at and this is what I need. Keep it before the Lord at all times. You just do what you're supposed to do. You just do what you know God wants you to do and seek his face. He will guide you. Do you trust him? Do you have faith to believe that God is actively involved in directing your life? If you don't believe that, then he won't actively direct your life. You understand? Faith is the way forward. Faith is the way forward. God, I trust you and I believe in you. I'm just going to do the things you've called me to do. I'm going to do the right things to the best of my ability and I'm going to trust in you for the rest. Hey, that's a great way to live, guys. That is wealth. That is true riches. That is truly wealthy. How many rich people do you know or you know of or famous people who, do they look happy? Now listen, I can be happy with a bucket of chicken wings and a dirt bike. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like the marriage could be falling apart and I could be having this trouble and over there, but then boom, I turn the corner, chicken wings and a dirt bike. I'm going to be happy for at least the next two hours. I mean really happy. And when you got $36 billion, you can continually distract yourself and make yourself happy. You understand, that ain't joy. That's not peace. That's not contentment. That's not what God wants you to be chasing after. That's what the world offers. It is not what God has to offer you. The joy and the contentment and the peace and heart that God offers you is so far above and beyond any joy, any momentary happiness or pleasure that this world could offer you, it's not even worth mentioning. Paul talks about these very things, doesn't he? I was a tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul had money. Paul was known. Paul was on the fast track. He said, all of those things that I saw as assets in my life, I now see them as poo-poo. He says, poo-poo, compared to the surpassing riches of knowing Christ. If you only knew, Paul would say, if you only knew, if I could show you for a moment, if I could let you feel for a moment, the joy and the peace that passes understanding that comes from a walk with Christ, you would turn your back on the things of the world like that. The world is constantly calling out to you, more, crave more, need more, one more this, one more that, one more time, blah, 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 blah. And it is an insatiable lust that your flesh has. All of us. Friends, it's insatiable. The eye is never satisfied. The stomach is never full. But the peace of God passes understanding. The joy of God will fill you, and it'll fill you abundantly. What does the Bible say about being filled with the Spirit of God? It's pressed down, bubbling over. All of those blessings. I know the money preachers want to say that that's money. You won't be able to contain the money in your bank account. I mean, go preach that in China. See if you don't get stoned. Go preach that in Iran. Okay? Go preach that garbage there. If you can't preach it in Pakistan, then don't preach it in Kirkville. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The riches are not of this world. And the reason I go over it and go over it and over it is because the church of Jesus Christ in America has been sold a bill of goods. 
If you're doing everything God wants you to do, then everything in your life is just going to go well. Oh, my life used to suck, but then I came to Jesus, and now everything's wonderful. <laughs> right? My wife is leaving me. I need Jesus. Well, do you need Jesus, or do you need your wife? You definitely need your wife. Probably more than you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you need Jesus. If you, if you come with a life enhancement gospel understanding, you're in for a rude awakening because let me tell you something, bad stuff is going to happen. I don't, I'm sorry. I hate to be... You're going to lose people, friends. People are going to be sick. People are going to die. People are going to break up. Families are going to fall apart. It happens. This world is beset by sin. And that's the world that we live in. That's the reality. God never tries to paint a rosy picture of Israel or the times that they were living in in the Old Testament, does he? Sometimes you're reading stuff and you're like, jeepers, man. Couldn't you leave that part out? No, no. This was the reality of the world. God steps into a wicked world full of people with evil desires and passions and he goes to work. And he calls for us to be a shining light in the midst of that dark and perverse generation. That's what he's called us to. We should stand apart. We should stand above. We should stand, we should be completely different. And that's not popular to the people of this world. I don't know if you've noticed lately in your culture, but if you aren't willing to go along with certain things, if you aren't allowed to go along with certain philosophies and ideologies, you are now a bad person. You're not just someone I disagree with. You're a bad person. Well, wait a second. What am I supposed to do here, Pastor? The Bible says I got to say this, but the world's saying, bingo. You think what Jesus was saying when he said, listen, remember this, guys. Listen, uh, if the world hates you, huh? Say what? What did he say? Hate me. I don't want, do you want the world to hate you? I really don't. Sorry. Just you super holy people. I don't want the world to hate me, but I want to be with Christ. And I want to stand on God's word. And if that means that the world hates me, so be it. So be it. God has promised us that that would be the case. If we stood on the word of God, if we followed Jesus Christ with all that we had, there's gonna be times of persecution. Okay, well, we're not gonna get any farther, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you so much for uh, my brothers and sisters, Lord who are willing to listen to uh, me go on and on. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with them from this place, that you'd bless them, Father, that the, the words that you have hopefully spoken to them this morning, Father, would resonate in their hearts and in their minds. They would think about it as they go along the way, uh, and they would begin to speak about it with their friends, with their family members, Lord. Maybe for the first time they would have a conversation with you that they haven't had before, Lord, just completely open and honest and revealing of all of who they really are and what's really in their hearts to you, Father. I just pray and ask that you would allow them to see how merciful and gracious and loving and compassionate you are, Lord, and how you are about the ministry of reconciliation. Father, we pray that you would help that to be uh, true in each of our own hearts, Lord, in our relationship with you, that we would want reconciliation, we would want that peace that passes understanding and that joy. That would be the treasure that we would be seeking after and running after, Lord. And we pray secondly to that, Lord, that we would have that same desire to pass it on to the people around us. Father, we just pray that you would not through our words, but through the example of our lives, Lord God, you would help us to have a testimony amongst our friends and our families and our coworkers, Lord. Give us a, a supernatural love 
towards people, Lord, who maybe naturally we would be enemies with. Help us to see them as Jesus Christ saw the people as lost sheep having no shepherd. Father, I pray that you would uh, just bless your sons and your daughters and that you'd watch over them, that you'd cause your face to shine upon them, Lord. Continue to shine and flow your grace and mercy, Lord, into their lives. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use them to establish your kingdom, Lord, to work your will in the circles that you put them in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thanks, fam.